Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Lucas Oil and TireRack.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 265. I'm John Davis, and I have Greg and Jessica from our MotorWeek staff today, and we're going to talk about all things EV, electric vehicles. MotorWeek just finished its EV, the state of charge, all electric uh, special, and we're sort of following up with it this podcast. We're going to particularly be interested in uh, electric vehicles that have a plug, so full electrics that are battery electric, and also we might have, talk a little bit about some plug-in hybrids, PHEVs. Um, we had a great time doing the program. Uh, we looked basically at what you could buy right now and in the very near future. And that really brings us to the first vehicle we're going to cover today, the 2022 Volvo C40 Recharge. And Jessica Ray, you are fresh back from uh, having a chance to drive it. Tell us what the C40 Recharge is and what you thought about it. Yeah, so um, the C40 Recharge, if you take a look at it, you're probably going to think it looks a lot like the XC40 Recharge um, or just all XC40s in general. And um, well, that's because there's quite a lot of shared parts with the XC40. Um, it's the same CMA platform that the XC40 Recharge is uh, built on, but also uh, the Polestar 2 is built on. Um, so we're talking the, the, the powertrain is identical. It has the, uh, the twin motor set up, one in the front, one in the rear, both of them 150 kilowatts of output. Um, this is, Jessica, but this is, this is a coupe, right? Yes. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. So this is a coupe. Um, the biggest difference. Well, coupe, describe what they mean by coupe. I don't think yeah. people are seeing the air quotations. Right. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So coupe Not being, true. it has this, a sloping roof line to it. Um, it's pretty significant if you take a, a look in the rear. I mean, it's it's clearly less headroom for uh, folks sitting in the back. Um, and there also is less visibility uh, due to its sloping roof line because you have a much smaller rear window. But it still has, um, you know, those the, the tail lights that go up the, the, um, the edges of the of the rear. Um, and it's it's very attractive looking um, with that sloping roof line. Um, I mean, I, I do enjoy the boxy look to the, the XC40 recharge, but there is something really sleek about that sloping roof line. Otherwise, I mean, um, it's it shares quite a bit with the XC40. Um, I want to clear up one more thing. Uh, yeah. We all know that Europeans, when they use the term coupe, that usually means a four or five door vehicle still. Now this is not a traditional two door coupe, is it? No, no, um, it's still got your four doors. Um, it's, a, it's a subcompact crossover that has a sloping roof line. Okay. Um, so yeah, no, it's, so it's very interesting. They, they definitely avoided the word coupe because I drove it in Europe, I was in Belgium because uh, they will be building the C40s in um, Ghent in their production factory there. And um, so, yes, they, they avoided the word coop. <laughs> but we all know that's what they look like with the, you know, so, so really it's a, it's a, it's a, a fastback version of the, uh, 
XC40 recharge for all yeah, practical purposes. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Americans probably think of it as like a fastback sport back type yeah. look. Yes, yeah. because you do think you're like, all right, the the powertrain is very shared. The front end is very shared with the XC40. Um, we're talking the same 402 horsepower. Um, it's got a 78 kilowatt hour battery. Um, and it, it uses, uh, it, with usable 75 kilowatt hours, which is obviously a good thing because it always varies of, of how big the battery is, but then also how much automakers want to make that usable. Um, but everything, th there's a lot of shared elements with it. So you're trying to think, well, why, why, why did you do that? And it's well, because you can, and it looks cool and it's sporty and the C40 will actually only be um, ever electric. They will never put a combustion engine into mm. it. And so this new thing that Volvo is also doing is that you can actually only buy it online. You cannot go to a dealership to buy it. You have to order it online. And you can test drive one at a dealership and you can get your service done at a dealership and you'll pick it up at a dealership, but you have to order it online. That's that's causing a lot of consternation among Volvo dealers, I can tell you that. Um, yes, range, yeah. what's the range of it and how is that range, compared to the XC40? So range currently, uh, they don't have uh, EPA numbers out yet, but they are estimating it to be 225 miles which is on the lower end of the spectrum, but it's still respectable and honestly what most people would use. Um, driving wise, I mean, I, I loved it. I had so much fun in it. It was, mm. I mean, that 402 horsepower on this little subcompact crossover, you don't get that much power in that size of a vehicle no. um, or that type of a vehicle otherwise. Um, and of course the instant power was just, uh, I, I had, I had a blast driving it on the highway. It was so fun. Um, and I, they actually put us in situations where we were driving in a lot of high traffic areas in Belgium and just having that, that instant torque to just sort of pop in and out of traffic when you need to was so nice. Like I can imagine city driving is, is really, really enjoyable with it. So, yeah. Greg, any questions for Jessica? You can look at, everybody can't see her face like we can. And uh, uh, she has a big smile on it. So you can tell she really enjoyed it. <laughs> yes. So I back to the whole range thing, 225 miles. Uh, doesn't sound like a lot, but, you know, it's actually the same as our Porsche Taycan uh, rear wheel drive. The base level we have in right now is a long-term vehicle. And I mean, I, these aren't, I wouldn't compare these two cars. I, and I, my point was the C40 is more of a city car. I mean, that's urban oriented car, in which case 225 miles is more than enough. I do find it kind of weird that they would take a car like that and like put 400 horsepower in it. Like to me, that doesn't make a ton of sense. Like I love it. Don't get me wrong. I'll take more horsepower, but I'm just not sure why that, why this car has to have that much horsepower you know it's just my interesting thought of the day i think eventually well obviously they couldn't confirm anything to me but i imagine a you know we have a single motor pole star two now i imagine a single motor longer range version of the c40 
could be in the future with that would have less horsepower would sort of make sense for most people um why they're starting with the the, the what they're calling the twin motor i don't know because now we have a single motor that you know and of course volvo doesn't like to talk about what polestar's dealings are and vice versa so you know i, I definitely see where you're coming from greg yeah but you know for the us if you don't have uh you know, all-wheel drive, it's almost a non-starter. So they've, they've come out with their top model first. And like Greg mentioned, you know, they'll, they'll trickle down uh, to something less. And actually, let's stay on that, um, uh, the, the Porsche that we've got in for our long-term. Uh, we were going to talk about that. And since you brought it up, Greg, you know, it's the base model, uh, Taycan. Uh, it's only rear-wheel drive with motor in the rear, like a all good Porsches should have, I guess. And uh, I think all of us on the staff that have had a chance to spend time on it have been really smitten with this car. It's still not inexpensive, but why don't you tell everybody a little bit more about it and, and why you like it? Because I know you do. No, it is not inexpensive. So if, if you're expecting a base level Porsche to become within range of most people, it's just not going to happen. I think it starts at like 75 the one we have is up around 114, 112, $112,000 that is. And that's part of that is because it does have the upgraded battery. Uh, I think the base level has like a mid seventies kilowatt hour battery. This one is 92, 93-ish kilowatt hours. I know it, they say specifically like 92.3 or 92.8, regardless, 225 miles of, of range. And what sticks out to me is with most Porsches, performance is like right there at the forefront that's the first thing you usually notice regardless of the Porsche you're driving and this one I thought it kind of took a back seat to the luxury and the comfort of the car because uh, I drove it on hour and two hour and 15 minute um, drives on the highway mostly highway and it was just so smooth and I think more importantly quiet and I, John I know you had some highway time in it I absolutely love the car and everything you've said, I completely agree with. But when I took it over to a friend of ours who is a dyed-in-the-wool Porsche file, he asked me why I liked it. And I said, well, first of all, it actually is within, you know, at $115,000, that's a lot of money, don't get me wrong, but we're seeing Jeeps with a $100,000 price tag these days. So it's not as crazy as it would have been five years ago. But with that said, the car didn't seem lacking in anything, even though it was far from their top model. It was so smooth. But my friend said he drove it and he thought it was a nice car, but he said, why do you like it? And I said, I like it because I can't put my finger on it completely. Maybe it's the fact that it's the rear weight bias of the engine in the back. I don't know. It felt like the essence of Porsche was maintained. And I know we've said that with the more expensive all-wheel drive models, but this car, I would have expecting it to lose some allure, and it didn't. If anything, the lower price made me want it even more because it was actually almost attainable. Um, it's, um, my spouse, we took a considerable ride in it, several hours, you know, very comfortable. Uh, they took the, the same kind of uh, uh, center stack that they use in the Panamera, but I made it all digital. 
Uh, I just thought they did a superb job in it. And uh, I have to tell you, it's a car that I'm going to be looking at the used car ads in about three years as they start popping up, uh, because I think at that point it'll be a lot more attainable than it is now. And it could end up being really a sleeper. Uh, it's, it was just very, very slick and very <laughs> impressive, very precise. Yeah, I don't want to make the whole podcast about it, but my last two points or a few points will be uh, I was able to fit two kids in the back, a three month old and a two and a half year old. And it wasn't the best fit, but they got back there. And my two and a half year old daughter uh, absolutely loves it. She uh, she always she actually is starting to realize the difference between cars. So she knows when I have a Porsche or when I have this or that. And normally when I say, well, wait, we have a Porsche, she goes vroom, 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 vroom. Uh, and I had to unfortunately tell her that this Porsche does not make that noise. So <laughs> it, it didn't really dampen her experience. Uh, and I also want to note, and John, you also experienced it. While the EPA says 225 miles of range, when I fully charged it, the car right. said 260 miles. And right. as I was on my longer trip, I still averaged between 35 and 40 kilowatt hours per 100 miles which actually puts it over that 225 mile range yeah i had the same experience and uh basically at if under 60 miles an hour i was using maybe 75 percent as much battery power as i would have gasoline per mile if you know what i mean by that i was i would be do a mile and it would tick down maybe three quarters of a mile uh, when I got on the highway, of course, it went the other way. It, it started sucking up mileage at a faster rate than, uh, uh, but all in all, I was very impressed and never felt like I was going to run out. Jessica, I'm sorry. Did you have, uh, do you have a chance to get in it? No, I actually haven't. I, it's you've been, been, it's been, been a hot so commodity. Much. Yeah, it has been a hot commodity and you've been away. I know. Yeah, I've been away. It's been a hot commodity. So I, I haven't been able to get in it i mean i've seen it obviously yeah. um and i the the color that we have is just absolutely gorgeous that's um, like the color itself like yep. a five grand option or something yeah like neptune blue is the color it is pretty it's, it's beautiful but um no i mean the the way that um uh they do fuel economy for the evs is they do uh uh it's 45% highway and 55% city. So yeah, if you're doing more city driving, you're very likely going to beat any numbers that, um, you know, the, the EPA is going to get. Um, so obviously that's a good thing. Anything over the, the 40, watt, uh, 40 kilowatt hours is usually uh, pretty efficient. And speaking of that, we're going to be start using on our EV road tests the, uh, the new standard. And really, it's, it's new only to the U.S., uh, we're going to be talking a lot more about the number of kilowatt hours per hundred miles that are used in Europe and most of the rest of the ways they've been doing that with gasoline vehicles. So talking about uh, liters or gallons per hundred miles for a long time, we don't do it in the U.S., but there is a new way of measuring efficiency uh, on these electric vehicles. So, Greg, let's go back to you about your over the edge. You did something for our electric special that was uh, I think new even to you, wasn't it? Yeah, so I had heard of people converting their gas-powered cars to all electrics. You just I just assumed those were <clears throat> the people who just kind of did this on their own. They found the parts they needed, went online, 
and just did it themselves. And that, and to a degree, that's, that's what it is like. That's still kind of what the market is or the aftermarket is for internal combustion cars. Um, but this, uh, this story centers around, uh, a guy, a really nice guy I met named Brandon Hollinger up in, uh, Lancaster. So Lancaster, Pennsylvania, I call it Lancaster because I guess I'm from Maryland and not Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I was very quickly corrected. It's Lancaster. Uh, so if you ever go there, don't make that mistake. <laughs> anyway, uh, he has a business out of it now where he converts uh, old, any car, basically, uh, any internal combustion car to an electric. Uh, their business is called Amp Revolt. And it started uh, in Brandon's head 12 years ago, actually, when he just wanted to get away from gas and diesel cars and just went online, did some research, watched some YouTube videos, bought a couple like 69, uh, 60s and sobs and uh, converted it to electric. He was driving that car. That was his daily driver every day. And that kind of like built a, a charge, if you will, in him. <laughs> and 12 years later, he and... Uh, in his downtown garage, he'll, he'll take your car and convert it. Now the technology has changed a little bit. He started in, in that Saab, which he still drives. Actually, he's got over 90,000 miles, all electric miles on that wow. Saab that he built. He converted it from the original lead acid battery to lithium. Now they use uh, lithium mm. batteries. Um, but their big thing now is they are reclaiming salvaged Tesla parts and other OEMs who are, have electric cars, mostly Tesla, because they are, I mean, whatever you think about Tesla, they have some really, really sought after technology, really good technology. And they're taking them, repurposing the, the, the stuff that's been salvaged and putting it in, you know, when I was there as a, like a 94 BMW 3 Series Coupe, they've put them in, in Chevy S10s, uh, Basically, they're, they're doing a camper. Uh, somebody came to them and said they want their camper to be fully electric. So they converted it to fully electric. They included DC fast charging, which was a first for them. But it also has solar panels on the roof. And it will be capable of charging itself when it's out, uh, you know, wherever the, the guy wants to take it. And as long as there's sun, it'll be able to charge itself. And basically anything else he's going to use while he's camping. So um, wow. it's... It, I think the bigger picture of the story is that even though we're talking about all of these new EVs and they're flashy and they're awesome, I don't think it's necessarily the only way forward if you want to use or go fully electric. I mean, you can go to a guy like Brandon and say, hey, I really like my car. I like everything about it, uh, but I want to reduce my carbon footprint. And we're at a time now where you can do that pretty easily. And actually, and, and you're not driving around in something that can't handle the highway. I, I, he drives his Saab to and from Pittsburgh uh, on many occasions with plenty of highway miles in between. Hey, to ask, but what, what kind of cost are you talking about conversions? Um, it's, it's definitely in the thousands. You know, it's not going to be, uh, it's not cheap. And I don't have specific pricing for you because it's obviously based on a car to car basis because right. not every car is built the same. And part of that, uh, and that kind of jumps me into something else that's very cool with Ampervolt is they actually patented their own battery boxes because you can't just take a battery that comes from a Tesla and put it into a three series. 
because the battery in a Tesla is a flat pancake that sits under the car and it doesn't fit in a BMW. So you have to repackage those batteries. So he built a box that he can put the batteries in. It can build up and build out to whatever size they need it. It can even be put in a house for in-home storage. And that's how they do it. But that kind of, I'd love to give you an answer on exactly how much it costs. Um, but it just, it's, it really depends on how they're packaging it and what parts they're using, if they have the parts and, and whatnot. But it's, it probably isn't like bargain bin. Like if you're thinking like, oh, I can go get, a, I can convert my car for just a couple hundred or a couple thousand dollars. It's a little more involved than that. I have to tell you, I think we did our first segment on someone converting to electricity an existing vehicle probably back in the 80s and it was a, a homegrown uh, type of situation and of course then you had nothing but lead assets. I think this is very exciting and while you know we keep talking about how expensive all, all electric vehicles are as far as purchase price so why not take something you love and spend that kind of money in making it you know better. Uh, that's pretty interesting. It's a larger conversation about like sustainability in general. You know, we talk a lot about reducing our carbon footprint and EVs are, are a way to do that with, um, you know, not having tailpipe emissions, but you still have to build those cars and those cars, you know, uh, usually that footprint is until, until factories are carbon neutral, that footprint is going to be similar to an internal combustion engine. And so if taking something that already exists here on the earth and, you know, a car, say you have a bad engine or something, um, you spend maybe, you know, some thousands of dollars uh, to turn it into electric. And that honestly could be the more sustainable option than buying outright a brand new EV. That's a really good point. Really good point. So uh, let me stay with you, uh, Jessica, just for uh, the next little part of our podcast. Um, you, as the producer of this podcast, came up with uh, a, a challenge for all of us to look ahead at what's coming in EVs. Our, our special pretty much looked at what was available now, but over the next couple of years, we're going to be actually swamped with just dozens and dozens of new, all new battery electric plug-in vehicles, not even uh, plug-in hybrids. There'll be plenty of them too. But right. I'm going to ask you and then ask Greg, and then I'll make a comment. Of all the stuff that you know is coming, what EV, fully electric, battery electric vehicle, are you most looking forward to? And if it happens to be a plug-in hybrid, that's fine too. I have to say, I think Rivian to me is probably the most, um, uh, the one I'm looking forward to the most. Both, you know, they have the, um, I guess the R1T is a mid-size pickup, so they have a midsize pickup, but that same platform is also going to be used for the R1S, which is um, an, a, a larger SUV. So those two could very, you know, the, the R1T is, is in production now. That's going to be the first mass-produced EV pickup coming. Um, and I think the look is just really um, fantastic. I mean, obviously you look at it, you take a look at it and it's got some funkiness to it. Its headlights are like rounded and um, it's a little off, but not off enough that, you know, in, in like the bubbly way that EVs used to be, you're like, that's not probably not an internal combustion engine vehicle, but you're mm -hmm. not like, that's a weird looking car. Like 
very attractive. They seem to have thought of everything. Um, they, uh, it just seems like that Rivian is going to propel the larger, um, the vehicles that, you know, the real gas guzzlers um, to start thinking more um, in terms of electric. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing more of those on the road. And by the time we uh, folks are hearing this podcast, uh, I'll have a chance, have had a chance to get into the, the Rivian pickup. So maybe on the next podcast, we can talk about that. It does look yeah. pretty darn impressive and it will beat forward to the market with the first all electric uh, uh, mass produced pickup truck. So Greg, all the upcoming EVs, what are you looking forward to most? Yeah, I think Jessica kind of took the low-hanging fruit there. Uh, so, oh, I, I, well, no, I, I mean that in as in I was going to also take that fruit, but now I have to reach a little bit higher, uh, just slightly though, and just say the F one fifty. Not only because it is a uh, going to be an all electric pickup truck, but because of what the truck is in America. It is not only, it's not just the best-selling pickup truck. It is the best-selling vehicle. Period. So yep. the, the, the fact that it is now going to be offer a full uh, electric version, I think is just, it'll be interesting to see the acceptance of it. Not obviously the performance and the execution, but I just think it's a very big moment uh, in uh, the U.S. auto industry when the best-selling vehicle has an all-electric version and it's, and it's a work vehicle. And not only can you tow with it, although they're not being very cagey about how far, the thing that gets me about the F-150, and I don't want to hog this either, is you will be able to use it in an emergency to power your house. Not only power your job site if you're working with it, but to physically plug it into your house. And instead of having a portable generator or even a big generator attached to your house. So that's pretty cool to me. Yeah, that was one of the things that I sort of uh, when I drove the F-150 hybrid for the first time, talked to the engineers about, and I was like, this seems like a, you know, anything, any vehicle that can act as a generator. I was like, this is, you know, seems like it would be great in any sort of emergency situation. And then right. of course it's an F-150. So um, say a federal agency needs something like that. Um, seems like it's a, a no brainer. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously you can only use it for a certain period of time, but it gives you a bridge until you get a more sustainable power source. Yeah. Okay, my turn. I've picked something uh, pretty far out. Uh, I'm looking very forward to the first vehicles supposedly sold here next year by a car company we've never seen in the U.S. before, and that's VinFast. VinFast, for people that are not familiar, is uh, from Vietnam. They are a new company but they're already the fourth largest car maker in, or I should say, as far as market share selling in Vietnam. Uh, they're talking about being here next spring. They'll have two crossover SUVs, a compact and a midsize, the VFE 35 and VFE 36. To me, because of the Vietnamese sourcing, I expect these to undercut everybody else on the market. So I'm, I'm all about let's get these vehicles, all electric battery vehicles down to extremely affordable areas. Uh, take a, a, a page out of the Nissan Leaf book and let's get the base models down to under $30,000 before you have any kind of incentives. And if 
I don't know if these guys will do it, but they've certainly got an option. And the VFE 35 being the smaller one, I'm expecting that to be, if not the least expensive fully battery electric vehicle you can buy in the US uh, down there with the lowest cost. And so um, we don't know anything about quality or anything else, but they are doing well in their home country and we'll see what happens with them. And all of this kind of gets us into our lightning round. And this is a, a very interesting poll. A new consumer survey carried out by Mini USA finds that half of all consumers expect the American automotive market to be mostly electric within just 15 years. Do you think that perception is realistic? Also, 80% of those surveyed will also consider an electric vehicle, a plug-in electric, as their primary or secondary vehicle. What do you think? Realistic? I didn't read the full uh, blurb on the survey, but are we talking fully electric or electrified? Because it's now, there's a difference that, there. Jessica, you came up with this, so you can chime in. But my, I looked at all the details too, and I'm not sure they spe what made it specific. What I do you mean, I I feel like the general perception is is fully electric. You know, if I was getting that. I would say fully electric, well, but I, don't, I could be wrong. I, I, I'm going where Greg's going. Go ahead, Greg. I'm totally speculating, but in my anecdotal experience, talking with people who aren't in the auto industry, there's still a lot of confusion about what a plug-in hybrid is versus what an EV is. I think Correct. most people think of electrified, here they hear the word electric, they assume it is fully electric. We know that's not the case, but I, I'm going to guess that most people in the survey hear electrified electrification and think fully electric so i do not in, in that vein i do not think we'll be there in 15 years i mean that's that's a lot that's a lot to happen in 15 years now if we're talking strictly electrified where we're talking plug-in hybrids uh hybrids you know just standard hybrids and electrics i think that's easily doable yeah uh, yeah i agree with uh with greg i also think that that answer could change in five years too you know um the technology gets better and better every single day so five years from now um we could be seeing it it almost normal to have a 500 mile range in an ev uh potentially or that on the the um you know on the horizon higher ranges faster charging um greener energy we could, you know, within five to 10 years, anything can really happen. But certainly at the pace that we're at now, I do think it's a little bit of, of a long shot to say in 15 years, mostly everything uh, on sale or, or out there is going to be all electric. Yeah, it also means there are also enough words in here that you don't really, they could be right and wrong at the same time. Mostly could mean 51%. If you're talking 51% basically electric, of course, in 15 years. Uh, I've always thought the 2050, 2045, 2050 is more realistic. The other thing, though, that popped out when I looked at this survey, which they didn't really talk that much about in some of the articles about it, was that almost 80%, and this is sort of counterintuitive to what their results were, uh, while 80% of the people, you know, they say they would consider an electric vehicle, they had almost as many that said they don't think electric vehicles would fit into their daily 
lifestyle seamlessly. And that really came down to range and charging convenience. So everybody would yeah. like to go electric, but show me something that in an emergency, I can basically you know, drive a couple hundred miles without having to stop for an hour. So there's a lot more education that has to happen. And I do believe though, what, what you said, Jessica, I think in five years from now, the landscape is gonna look a lot different because as we saw in our, uh, our EV special, um, uh, Electrify America and, and other charging networks are rapidly developing uh, and getting ready to deploy charging infrastructure that will cut the time down to recharge a vehicle on the highway almost to what the time it takes to get uh, to take a bathroom break and fill up your car at a gas station. It's going to be closer than you think in five years. So, and that's going to change everybody's opinion. Yeah, no, I agree with you. One of the things I'll sort of circle back a little bit to the C40 uh, recharger that I drove um, is that once you get into it, you see how it works. You see you know, uh, Volvo has also part, been partnering with Google for um, their most recent models. They're updating their model lineup. And, and so they've been using um, literally Google Maps within their um, uh, infotainment. And the way in which, you know, the car knows exactly how much charge it needs, um, if you want to map out where you need to go, Right. All these EVs are, are smart. They know exactly how much battery you're going to have. They're going to know what, what charger that you need to stop at. Do you need to start, you know, and, and, and where and how long you need to stop there for. So I think a lot of perception has to change. And I think people sat in an EV and they drove one and they saw how it works. I think their minds would be a little bit more at ease with the whole idea of range anxiety. Um, and so, but it's just one of those things that, um, you know, a lot of people just don't have the opportunity to yeah. physically be in one and drive one and experience it. Yeah. My, my very last point will just be, um, I get the hesitation, uh, but to compare it to something we've seen happen, uh, there was a lot of questions about when we started the pandemic, how do we transport things? How do we make things with all these restrictions? How do we work from home? And I mean, we did a pretty darn good job and we still are. So I think we, as humans and as, you know, Americans specifically, we, we're pretty good at figuring some stuff out. I'm not just saying that as like, hey, we'll do it. Don't worry about it. I mean that I, I have faith that we are very uh, capable of figuring out any future problems. Very well said, indeed. Both yeah. of you, that, that's a good final point. And here's a very interesting comment from one of our viewers, our viewer question from Mike. And Mike, just I'll tell you right off the bat, we love you, man. <laughs> After watching your informative and wonderful show on a Saturday, um, I have decided to sell all of my gasoline vehicles, including <laughs> my 1970 SS Chevrolet and mint condition Z06 VET and go fully electric. My concern prior to, prior to buying in is how much is the electric cost of charging going to be? Who would like to take first crack at that? I did some math for yeah. this. Um, so John had mentioned that we, when we talk about efficiency of an EV, we talk about kilowatt hours per 100 miles. And that is essentially like miles per gallon. But of course the conversions aren't exactly quite as handy. Um, there's more math involved. 
Um, so if you can imagine, you know, if you do most of your charging at home, there is a way that you can calculate how much it might cost, uh, how much it might add to your electric bill per year or even per month or something like that, uh, depending on what vehicle you buy. So for example, I took the ID4, the Volkswagen ID4, which um, has an efficiency of 35 kilowatt hours per 100 miles. Um, so kind of mid-grade between efficiencies, not the most efficient, which the most efficient I believe um, right now is Tesla, which I think is 24 kilowatt hours per 100 miles. But anyway, so um, you can just take out your most recent electric bill and you'll see on there how much you are paying per kilowatt hour. So I took out mine and I pay eight, eight cents per kilowatt hour, eight cent, eight, three, three, you know, whatever it is. Um, so if you take the 35 kilowatt hours and you multiply that by the eight cents and some change ends up being for me, $2 and 92 cents per 100 miles. So it costs me just under $3 to put a hundred miles into the tank. And then if you really want to get crazy and be like, Oh, well, how much per year would that cost me? Say I drive 8,000 miles per year. I take the two, $2.92, multiply that by 8,000, and then divide that number by 100 for the 100 miles. And then you get $233.60 per year. That's how much it would cost me. So it sounds like a lot of math, I know. Um, but it's just one of those things that it also depends on where you live. I probably, I pay less in electricity than somebody say in Arizona or California, but that's also the same with gas prices. I pay less in, you know, gas uh, than somebody in California does. Um, and of course, Greg would, Greg and John would probably know more of this than I do. Um, but you're going to be paying a little bit of a premium when it comes to charging um, at a, in a public charging network. So with electrify America on a level two charger. Um, but but yeah, that's sort of the, so the basics. You can calculate it yourself, um, but yeah. Greg. Yeah, I was just gonna offer more anecdotal mm -hmm. evidence just because that's what I'm doing today. I'm all about the anecdotes. <laughs> um, I fast charged our, again, our Tycon, uh, and I have the picture right here of what the, the final numbers, and this will always vary, like Jessica says, is there's just, it, it depends. Uh, so I got, 52 kilowatt hours in 31 minutes and 41 seconds. And this is with an Electrify America charging station with a, I believe a little bit of a discount for having an account. And it was $16 and 12 cents plus another two cents for tax. So if you're gonna be doing a lot of fast charging uh, or charging at public places where they do charge you, uh, that is something to consider because it, it, fast charging is considerably more expensive. Yeah. I came up with basically, I think the fast charging from my experience has been priced because there's not that much competition right now uh, at about the level of a premium gallon of gasoline. So I find fast charging in my experience so far pretty much on par with putting premium gas in the vehicle and about the same cost. However, Jessica's point at home, depending on where you live, it may be anywhere from a third to a half to three quarters as expensive per mile as using uh, gasoline. So the more charging you do at home, the more money you're going to save. And I got asked recently on in an interview, what's the payback time? 
You know, we're look, you're looking probably, depending on the premium you pay for the vehicle, whether it's something like a Nissan Leaf or something far more expensive, five to seven years for the payback. Uh, and of course, if gas prices keep going up, it'll be less. So I hope, Mike, that kind of gives you some parameters. I think Jessica's answer was really, really a really good one. And really all you need is just take out that um, uh, electric bill of yours and know what your vehicle's uh, kilowatt hours per hundred miles is and go to town. It's, it's, it's not as daunting a mathematical situation. Uh, <laughs> uh, before we wrap things up, I want to go back, and Greg, I'll start with you this time, to uh, the question I posed to all of you uh, 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 at the beginning. We talked about upcoming EVs, what we're looking forward to, but looking at what you can get now as an internal combustion engine vehicle, what would you most like, what vehicle would you most like to be made into a fully battery electric and why? So why don't you start? Because I'm scared of commitment, I don't want to commit to just one answer. So my like practical, what should be an EV, like what in my head is built to be an EV, uh, I would say the Hyundai Santa Cruz, that compact pickup truck. I just feel like to me, that should be an EV. But as an enthusiast, as someone who likes to drive, I'd like to see like a, an all-electric Miata or maybe a Cayman, something like that. Just, uh, you know, rip around in a two-door, two-seater all electric i would surely miss the sound of a, of a flat six or you know miatas have never had like great sounding engines so i don't think you would miss it miss it that much in a miata but i think they could be a lot of fun jessica well um mine my answer is probably opposite of that um well i have a wrangler i would love to see just a full bev wrangler um they exist Technically, the Jeep made a concept last year at their Easter Jeep Safari. The it was a uh, it was actually a manual uh, uh, electric Wrangler, which is really cool. But um, yeah, I mean, you see a lot of those things on the road, and I know it would it would be a challenge to get that into production, considering it's probably one of the least aerodynamic vehicles out there. Um, but I would I would absolutely love love to see an EV Wrangler. And I have half a thought to, you know, one day convert my, my Wrangler uh, to EV, you know, when, uh, when the time, when it's time comes. <laughs> well, there you go. You do the amp full. You're talking mm -hmm. about the Jeep Wrangler Mag Magneto or Magnetico. Yes. Magneto. Magneto. Magneto EV. Yeah. I think they've hinted strongly it's going to be in production next year. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I get nervous when they say things with, with the whole chip shortage, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's true. That's true. It, well, you know, they say next year, but you could you might be able to put put some money down on one, but we'll, we'll see when we see it. I found an interesting um, comment uh, just the other day that where the, a normal car takes about 300 chips, uh, an EV can take up to 3,000. So it's like wow. 10 times as many chips. Uh, it makes the chip shortage even worse. My choice is going to basically be uh, almost the same as Greg's. I want to see the new Ford Maverick in a full EV. And where I'm coming from is I have an older Ford Ranger. So I've got a compact truck. I never use it for long trips. I run back and forth to Home Depot and Lowe's. It carries mulch. I'd love to see something that size that doesn't have to have 300 miles worth of range. Uh, 
in a useful vehicle, that to me is like the perfect EV for my household, at least at the right at this moment. So I'm a, I'm with you, Greg. Small pickup truck with a with all battery. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, that's been a lot to cover in our EV special um, add-on podcast, but. As we close out, any rant and raves from anybody about anything that's uh, bothering you since we did our last podcast? Uh, I might. I have. A, I have a rave. Okay. Well, I was in Belgium, you know, driving the C40 Recharge, and that was the first time I'd ever driven in Europe. And I don't know what it was about their roads, but there was something that like it just made sense, like the traffic patterns, smoothness, but traffic circles. Yes. Yes, roundabouts, there were no potholes. Um, even the bikers were nice. There was bikes everywhere and they were so nice. I didn't feel like I was gonna um, get hit by one like I do when I drive in New York. Right. Um, and it like, yeah, everybody was just like considerate and kind. And I was, I was very at ease driving in traffic in Belgium. Competency. Competency yes. and and yeah, I agree with you, Greg. Anything on your uh, chest? <laughs> yeah, I rant <laughs> about people who don't like traffic circles. Traffic circles are great. I don't know why everybody hates them so much in America. They're great if you know how to do them properly. Just take just take five minutes and read a, a quick couple sentences on how to handle it, and you'll be fine. Yeah, you know, I do find that Europeans are just more. I don't know what the word is. I, competency just comes to me because they have to pass a driving test in Europe is a lot more involved than passing one here. They can they don't just consider it a right. And so when you are over there and you are driving extensively and you will get into tough spots and you will get into extremely fast traffic, but people just don't tend to pull out in front of you. They don't tend to take their aggression out while driving, at least in my experience. So it's interesting, Jessica, this was your first time and and you came back with very similar impressions yeah i mean it probably helped or didn't i don't know if it helped or didn't help that uh i think the week before i was in new york city driving and so like in the city driving and that you know cars double parked everywhere people just walking everywhere so um this was like a a very welcome change (laughs) yeah well don't get used to it (laughs) all right everybody our digital producer, Jessica Ray, and also our podcast producer today. Thank you very much for all of your comments. Our over the edge reporter, Greg Carlos, as always, great contributor. And to the folks behind the scene, our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, our uh, podcast creator, Bob Mixter, and everybody out there, thanks very much for tuning into our podcast today. As for where you can watch Motor Week, the television series, if you've got a screen, you can find us public television stations. You can go to our motorweek.org website, pull down about the show up in the uh, corner, put in your zip code or your state, and you'll pop up where we're seen there. Our new cable partner, MAV-TV. Go to mavtv.com for our schedule. They air us lots of times over the week. You can also go, as we're always plugging on the show, over to pbs.org slash motorweek. (coughs) Excuse me. And you can stream us for free. And we encourage all those people that stream to do that instead of paying somebody a lot of money to uh, watch us. Anyway, if you've got a screen, you can watch Motor Week. 
Thanks very much, everyone. Till next time, I'm John Davis, and thanks for being a part of Motor Week. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by Lucas Oil and TireRack.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.